Do you remember when your mum used to give you something and it used to burn, as we said in one iron, burn the bake off you, which means it's really hot in translation. Juicy porridge. Mum would give me this porridge that I think came from the core of Chernobyl. <laughs> and she would set it on the table and there's this, I'd, always, she would give it to me five minutes before I'd leave for school. And that's probably why I've got asbestos lips now. And you pick it up and it burns you. What do you do? You blow on it. By blowing on it, it waxes cold. Temperatures are dropping. It is getting harder to live out our faith, but that's the only negative part of my message because there's one who strides through the scene today. There's one who walks through despite the temperatures dropping, despite the persecution. There's one who walks through with joy and with hope and with determination, and that is our Savior himself. Jesus is our Savior. He is the one who went to the cross to die for us, and that is where our salvation rests. But he is also our example too. He is the one who leads the way and we follow in his footsteps here as the persecution increases, as the nastiness increases, Jesus walks on. And he walks on through the colonnade of Solomon. He's in the temple, he's public, he's in display, he's not hiding away and he is carrying out his mission. Friends, as the temperature drops, warm yourself in the love and example and grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the only thing that will keep us going. The book, not the book, the epistle of the Hebrews. I love Hebrews. It's a strange book. It's a wonderful one. It's an Old Testament sermon showing Jesus. But the one thing they said, it's, it's chapter, it's chapter 13, strengthen those weak knees. How many of your knees are giving you bother? Ah, I found that turning 35. I go upstairs now and the knees make more noise than anything else. Strengthen those weak knees. Lift up those drooping arms. Look and fix your eyes on... Jesus, perfecter and author of our faith. In difficulty, come before the throne of grace in time of need. Carry on because Christ carries on. And so how does he carry on and what does he do here? Well, firstly, 25 to 30, he shows us some beautiful light. Jesus, as the things get harder, as they get more difficult, sometimes in those moments, Jesus shows us more of himself, does he not? Sometimes in the most difficult moments, when we feel at our wit's end, when we are struggling, in those moments, Jesus breaks forth with more beauty and light in our souls, does he not? Remember that scene with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? The three friends of Daniel, they served God, they were faithful. They said, look, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've built a big fiery furnace. The flames are so hot, they're reaching out here. But you know what? We'll serve God. This is my paraphrase slightly. We'll serve God. Throw us in the furnace, so what? God will save us. If he doesn't save us, we'll still serve him. And as they're thrown into the midst of a difficult situation, what happens? But one like the Son of Man appears in the furnace and walks with them. So even as the temperatures drop, even as things sometimes get harder, keep looking to Jesus. And Jesus in those moments shows us more of himself. Here, the Jewish leaders are on Adam. They're persecuting him. 24, they're around him. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. <laughs> what do you want, guys? I mean, we have a saying in Northern Ireland, if, you, if brains were a disease, these guys would be healthy. And uh, tell us you're the Christ. He has. Let's roll back through John's gospel. John chapter 4. In fact, let's go back to John chapter 1, when John starts the gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 2, at the wedding in Cana, he does that massive miracle of turning the water into wine. John chapter 4, the woman in the well in Samaria, he says to her, he is the Messiah. She goes back and triggers a revival in her town. Jesus has clearly showed them that he is the Christ. 
There's some more miracles we'll look at later on. But Jesus again responds to them here. And in his response to them, he gives us some beautiful truths for us to hold on to as well. I told you and you do not believe. There is none so blind as those that will not see. And these guys had determined that Jesus was not the Messiah, that it just didn't fit their picture of the world. And so they refused to acknowledge the information, the displays of light before him. I told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. As the temperatures drop, as the persecution increases, Jesus points to the fact that he has sheep. He has people who will follow him. He has people who are close to him and they are his. Friend, as you're struggling sometimes in sharing your faith, as you feel that it's difficult, you may feel like you're the only Christian in your workplace, your university class, even your family. Know this, that you are his and he is yours. That the Savior of the world, whom you have trusted in and repented of your sins and follow him, you are his sheep. Look at that possessive, my sheep. My sheep, verse 27, hear my voice and I know them. Jesus knows you. Isn't that an astounding fact? I used to dread looking after youth trips. Do you know, I loved our, I loved our young people up in Scotland and I loved taking them on trips, but you know that scene when you get in the bus at the end of a trip and you start counting and you realize you've forgotten one? <laughs> you just drive off and, no, no, no. <laughs> you ever had that moment of panic where you're like, oh, no. Or maybe you're like David Cameron and you forget your chat and all that. <laughs> Jesus never forgets us. He never overlooks us. He never loses count of us. He never loses sight of us. He knows that Sam, I read Psalm 56, your tears are in a bottle that he keeps. And that's not so, oh, look, there's your tears. No, it's a caring thing. Your tossings at night when you're struggling. How many of you I, I struggle to sleep sometimes? It's just your, your mind's going 100 miles an hour and you're tossing and turning. And the night watches, he is with you. Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The main thing that keeps us secure in Christ as the temperatures drop is not our perseverance at first, not our determination, our stiff upper lip. The thing that keeps us the most is the fact that Jesus holds us. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. And I want you to know, for LBC this morning, if you are in him, and you're here this morning and you may feel overlooked, perhaps even by church, perhaps even by your family. Jesus is the one whose eyes are on you and who is with you and who will never leave you or forsake you. Who walks with you through the darkest valley. We just sung, the Lord is my shepherd. What a beautiful song. Who gets tired of singing, the Lord's my shepherd? If you do, we'll pray for you after the service. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. He never leaves us. He knows us. He calls us and we follow him to where he would have us go. And if you're here this morning and perhaps you're starting a new venture in life, perhaps you've moved to, to Lincoln, perhaps you're starting a new job, there's anxiety that comes with that. But he is with you. And if he has called you, he will equip you. I remember when I stood down from my previous church, I talked to an old pastor friend of mine back in Northern Ireland and he, he shared this with me. It was quite good. He said, if the Lord points you somewhere, 
As he points somewhere, he will open his hand to bless you on the way. Those whom he calls, he equips. Those whom he calls, he will bring. And those whom he calls, he will take with them and not leave them or forsake them. So now that we have come, as Galatians says, to be known by God, or have come, I turn to Galatians chapter, chapter 4, verse 9 there, if you've got a Bible. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 there. This is one for the refrigerator. I love hearing that noise, the rustling of Bibles. There's just something that a phone can't quite capture, is there? Galatians 4, verse 9. Galatians 4, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, I notice he puts a comma, or actually, rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back? Paul would say this in Philippians as well, in Philippians chapter 3. He will say, we press on for the upward goal of Christ Jesus our Lord, not because we make it our own, but because Jesus has made us his own. There is a beauty in this that we are the sheep that follow Jesus, that we are his and nothing can separate us. He shed his blood for us, as Paul reminded the Ephesian elders, for the church which he loves and gives himself for. He calls us, he follows, he equips. There is security in that. And even more, this security is rooted in a deep, deep truth at the center of the universe. Let's read on, verse 28, back in John there, sorry. I give them eternal life. Now, their eternal life isn't actually just measured in time, though it is. It's also measured in quality. I give them life that is eternal, that will never end, that will stretch and grow and expand. As he said last week, I give them life in abundance. Jesus is a good giver. He doesn't give like a Scotsman. He's not canny about it. He doesn't measure out. He gives like an Irishman. He overflows from the joy of his heart. There is abundant life with him that keeps... Oh, that's me in trouble again. That keeps on giving. Jesus isn't boring. He isn't the option of last resort, Lord, salvation he is. But he's more than that. He is a delight. He is a joy. He is a savior who blesses, who is happy with us. I've been reading through the Old Testament. and There's that scripture in Sephaniah that you come across. It's just so beautiful. The Lord will delight over you with singing. I don't think I've caused too many people to sing about me. But the Lord... Don't say amen. The Lord will delight over you with singing. We have this idea that salvation sort of comes because Jesus had to. The Father sent him and he, he had to do it. And he, and he did No, friends, he entered it willingly for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? To please his Father and to see millions, billions come to him in saving grace from every tribe, tongue, and nation across the world. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He delights in you, his sheep, those who follow him, those who are in his hand. Notice there the language, they are in my hand and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Don't know what it is about we boys, but we boys love to arm wrestle, do they not? Is this just Northern Irish, we boys? No. There's something about an arm wrestle that's good fun, isn't there? No. Okay. <laughs> But I remember as a wee kid, I had this, this uncle who actually we really shouldn't have been wrestling with him because his shoulder used to dislocate. And I think once actually we wrestled with him and popped his shoulder out, but that's another. But he used to love wrestling with us and we could never win because he had the grip of a vice. And once your hand was in his, he got the hold of you and he would not let go. 
Jesus says here, you're in my hand. Let's think of that hand for a minute. That hand that we just sung about that bears the marks of a nail pierced, where he was pierced on the cross for us. That hand that flung stars into space, that crafted and shaped it, the universe around us. That hand that is all power and authority. That hand is the hand that holds us. That holds you this morning, brother and sister. Who do you think is going to snatch you from that hand? Anyone? No. Romans 8. Though tribulation and trial come against me, persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, the sword, danger. Paul's description of the apostle there isn't exactly encouraging. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered all the day long. But shall anything separate us from love of Christ? No. Nothing will. He who saved us is he who keeps us. He who redeemed us on the cross and brings us to him through faith and joy will never let us go. And this actually gets better. Not only are you held in Jesus' hand, but you're also held in the Father's hand. So you're held by Jesus and you're held by the Father. 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You're doubly secure. Isn't that amazing? And the best way I could think of illustrating this was once when I was walking out of college in my old Bible college in Belfast, we had a very steep hill called Lemburn Hill. And it was really good for walking off. I mean, I need to start walking up hills. It was really good for walking up. And one day I was coming out of college and we'd been going through a lot of texts and you guys at college will find that sometimes when you're wrestling and studying, things come up that you search the scriptures for and you're trying to work them out in your head. I remember walking up this passage and I can't remember what I was thinking about, but it was something profound. And before me was a father with his toddler. And they were walking up the hill. Now, the wee toddler had no idea how to walk, bless him. But he was held by his father. And every time he stumbled and every time he tripped and every time he saw something shiny and tried to go off the other way, he didn't fall and he wasn't hurt because the father kept hold of him. And he tried to escape from the father. Father kept hold of him. You're held by Christ and held by the Father. And even at times when you try and run away from God like Jonah, he will not let us go. Oh, love that wilt not let me go. And I think this morning we need to grasp the truth of this because we are held tight. And as the temperature drops and as it gets harder sometimes to share faith, we need to realize just what a treasure and a delight and a reality Jesus is in our life. We are a sheep, he calls us, we follow, he knows us, and we are rooted in God and Father. And more than this, verse 30, we are rooted actually in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30 there. I and the Father are one. That doesn't mean they're one person. That means they're one in unity and purpose and direction. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the whole Godhead is thrown in to rescue, redeem, and bring us back to themselves. Who can stop? What weapon against you is formed that will succeed? He will never let you go. And death itself will not separate you from him because this shepherd went into the grave, wrestled with death, destroyed it, and rose again triumphantly three days later. Nothing will separate you from Jesus Christ if you're in him. Does that at least get an amen? amen. And as the temperatures drop, we see this beautiful light. As Jesus is challenged by the religious leaders, he teaches us this truth about himself that we need to hold on to. So when you are facing withering criticism, when you say to somebody, well, actually, I am a Christian. 
and they get that gasp or that shock. Or they look at you as if you've been eating garlic all week and they start to back away from you. Christ holds you. And he will use you. When your family sometimes distance themselves from you and you feel the hurt of that, in Northern Ireland when you become a Christian, some families say you become good living. And so you're dismissed as the, that's the good living one. When you're pushed away sometimes, he will never leave you or forsake you. When you're in a foreign culture, for those of us who will go across, or for those who will go across to the mission field, and you're there the first night in the mission field with no languages, with nothing but yourself and your family, he is with you and he will never leave you. And he has you there for a purpose. So as it gets harder to live our faith, don't look to your support from society. Don't make the mistake of looking to politics as your hope. Politics is not our hope. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our security. Jesus is our future. Politics has its purpose and its role. I'm not knocking it, but it is not our hope. Money is not your hope. You may build up savings upon savings that make RBS sing for joy, but that is not your hope. Even churches. Churches as great and as wonderful as we should be in fellowship and support and encouraging each other. Ultimately, we are not the hope. We point to the hope who is in our midst. Jesus Christ the Lord. You are his sheep this morning. Do you know that? And you're rooted in the Trinity. Theologians call the Trinity the foundation, a fountain of all salvation, the fountain of all goodness and joy in the universe. And that is true. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one essence. Together they are in perfect unity and perfect mission and their mission in their heart is to bring you back to them that they may get glory and that you may be enjoyed and saved forevermore. That is the fountain that keeps us going. That is the hope that we must anchor ourselves to and never, ever, ever forget. Because, verse 31 to verse 42, that sometimes upsets people. The Jews' reaction to this, actually, in some senses... <laughs> According to their law is correct. They get it. They get that Jesus has just claimed himself equal to God. And so they pick up stones to throw him for blasphemy because their heads can't configure the fact that God would become truly human, take on flesh, but he did. So Jesus then responds to them and says, look guys, what works are you stoning me for? You've asked for proof. I'll give you proof. Look back over John's gospel. Not that John's gospel had been written by that stage. But let us look back over John's gospel for a minute. Look at the things Jesus has done. In John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. In John chapter 4, he triggered a revival in Sakaar. He healed an official son from a distance. In John chapter 5, he healed somebody on the Sabbath who'd been by a pool for 38 years. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He then decided to walk on water. And in chapter 9, he heals a man born blind from birth and gives him sight. And actually next week, if you come back, there's an even greater miracle he does. So come back next week. Do you want a clue? He raises somebody. He raises somebody from the dead. These signs are not done by the devil. These signs cannot be done by anyone but God himself. God has the power of life and death. And Jesus shows here his healing and his goodness. And he says to them, look guys, you're asking for proof. That's fair enough. Here is the proof. But still you refuse to believe because you're blind. And so they start fighting with him about a point of scripture, which comes from Psalm 82 verse 6. 
which talks about the sons of God. And he says, look, these guys were called sons of God. You're fighting with me over a technicality here. Look at the works, verse 38. Look at what I've doing. Get your categories changed. I am the savior of the world. And even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know that the Father is with me and I am in the Father. If you read the Old Testament, God gave miraculous power to his prophets. Elisha, somebody fell in his grave and somebody rose from the dead. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Moses parted the Red Sea. These are miracles of deliverance and healing that only God does. And now in Jesus Christ, they are consecrated and expressed fully. God doesn't give his glory to anyone else but God. God doesn't share his glory with a rival. Jesus here is claiming fully that he is the son of the living God. And I think it's so sad that here in the midst of this nation, this nation that's longing for a savior, they cannot see him. It's said there at the start of our thing, the festival of dedication. How many of you have heard of Hanukkah? Hanukkah is a Jewish festival that's celebrated around the 25th of December normally. Hanukkah was being celebrated when Jesus was having this talk. And Hanukkah is an interesting thing. It basically means there was a time in Israel's history when a... a Oh, I'm never going to say his name right. Why do people not have easy names? Antiochus Epiphanes, don't ask me to say it again, had invaded Israel and he had taken over the temple and in the temple he had done something really scandalous. He had sacrificed a pig at the high altar. So he had desecrated the temple, he had invaded the country and for three years the Jewish people had no worship and they were taken over by a foreign power. Well, one day a guy called Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, that's a great name, isn't it? Judas the Hammer. Yeah. Who needs marble? Come anyway. Judas Maccabeus comes. He rises up and he sends the people to come and throw Antiochus off the throne. And he does. He succeeds. He rebels. Antiochus is kicked out. Worship is restored. And people start thinking, oh, is this guy the Messiah? This is great. He's maybe come to save us. Problem was, he wasn't related to David. So what did they do? Well, they got a bit of fake news and forged the records and said there was a connection. But this had put the idea in the people's head that when the Messiah truly came, he would come as a political figure who would kick the Romans out. He would come as a warrior. He would come as a king. Let's forget that stuff in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. We don't want to think of that. That's not doesn't figure in our theology. Let's focus on the warrior part. And so when Jesus comes, they're completely blind to what he can do. When he starts healing the sick, they dismiss it. When he turns water into wine and blesses them, they think it's just a trick. When he opens the eyes of a blind man, they try and squash it down because it threatens their authority, their power. Because when Messiah comes, these guys are going to be the leaders in his new kingdom. And when he starts saying ridiculous things like, all those who come on to me, they must believe in me and trust in me and have a childlike faith and dependence on me. They don't want to hear that. And they don't want to be sheep. I mean, it's, in some ways, it's a bit insulting to be called a sheep, isn't it? I know with my hair, it's kind of sheep-like, but the sheep aren't the most intelligent animals, are they? Has anyone ever had to look after sheep? That would be a good team-building exercise for the church. I think we should get some sheep and look after them together and see how we get on. Anyone up for that? Yeah, amen, there we go. Sheep are crazy, but they have one redeeming feature. What was that? They're good to... <laughs> amen, with some mint sauce. <laughs> They have one redeeming feature. If you earn their trust, they will follow you. If you earn their trust, they will follow you. 
these religious leaders didn't want to be sheep. They didn't want to follow Messiah. They wanted to be leaders, and they wanted their own power and authority, and so their power corrupted them. And ultimately, this comes from sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is putting ourselves in God's place and saying, God, we know better than you, and that's the heart of it all. Adam and Eve, did the Lord really say, you're okay, eat the fruit, I'll do what I want, I'll eat the fruit. Oh no, that's gone wrong. And so they're blind. And their categories, they're looking for a military Messiah. They're, they're looking in all the wrong places. And here in their midst, in the midst of all this religious festival, in the midst of all this false hope, the one who could truly save them is standing there talking to them, is actually is discussing with them. I mean, Jesus is the most patient person in the world, is he not? I would have lost the rag with these guys back in chapter 2. But here Jesus is still wrestling with them. He's still yearning for them to come and know him. He's still yearning for them to be saved. There is a deepness and a richness in the mercy of God that strives with stubborn, rebellious sheep. And thank God he does because he did that for me. And I know in this room he's done that for you. So as a wee side note, let's be patient with others whom the Savior is trying to reach. Let's be patient with those who are struggling with these questions. Let's be patient as the Holy Spirit does his work because the Lord was patient with us, was he not? And so the persecution increases. Jesus goes across the Jordan and many there believe in him because the preaching of John the Gospel, or John the Gospel, John the Baptist. So what do we do when the temperature drops? What do we do when it gets harder to share our faith? Do we give up? Do we become apathetic? No. Firstly, we turn and look at the truths in Scripture that Jesus has promised us. He is our Savior. We have full and free salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He has risen from the grave. Death defeated the last enemy. He wrestled down and defeated. And we are in his hand, never to be let go. Martin Luther, what's that song? A mighty fortress is my God. Goods and kindreds, all this life may go. God's truth abideth still. He is ours. Warm yourself this morning in the fire of Christ's love. Study his word together. Trust in Jesus. Hold steady and know it's because you are being held by him. Gather around the Lord's table with the Lord's people. Pray together. Fellowship together. Encourage each other on. It's nice to get a word of encouragement at times, isn't it? A word of encouragement does so much. It seems like such a small thing. Trust Jesus. Hold steady because he is holding you. Gather with God's people. Remind yourself of his love and then be like him. Let your light and witness shine wherever you are. For he will bless it. And he will use you. A great prayer to pray in the morning is firstly, Lord, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for coffee. And then once, and Lord, today use me. Use me. How many of us really want to be used by the Lord to let his light shine forth? Because if you're willing to be used by him, he will use you in unlikely places, at unlikely times, to talk to really unlikely people. But hey, it makes life interesting. Since I became a Christian, oh, how many years is it now? I'm getting old. 2006. Since I've become a Christian, I can honestly say I have never had a dull day. I've had interesting days. I've had days where my hair's turned gray. I've had days of great joy, but I have never had a dull day following the Lord. Trust him. Hold steady because you're being held. Gather with God's people and let your light shine for the glory of his name as you bear witness to the gospel in word 
and deed. Let's pray together. Lord, I do sympathize with the apostle when he talks about the foolishness of preaching. How can we with words describe the majesty, the power and the authority of the Godhead? How can me, a creature, wrap my mind around the infinite complexities and beauty thereof? But I thank you that you have not left us on our own, but you have sent the Holy Spirit through your word to open it to us that we sometimes, even though we cannot fully understand, can trust in the Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. So I pray this morning, gracious Lord, for each and every one of us here, that firstly, that those of us who know you, who are your sheep, that we would know that we are held fast by a shepherd who loves us and will never leave us or forsake us, that he is a good shepherd who corrects, who disciplines, who keeps an eye on, but who loves us and leads us to joy everlasting, a joy that starts here and now. So may you refresh your people. And as we encounter difficulties in our witness, as we encounter the chilling winds sometimes of cynicism, as we encounter apathy, may the flame of your love shine bright in us and keep us going. And may you use us May you use us as a church family here in Lincoln, Lord. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, but we pray, Lord, use us to advance your kingdom and to glorify Jesus in our midst for the building up of your church, the reaching of souls and the expansion of your kingdom. Lord, use us. Use us individually in our areas of influence. We thank you that we're called as salt and light and you've scattered us around the place. Help us in these areas. And if there's any here this morning, Lord, who do not know you, I cannot bring them to you. I can only point to you, but your Holy Spirit does the work. So I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would strive with those who do not know that they would come to trust in this good Savior who is the Son of the living God, the Messiah of, this, of Israel and the hope of the nations. May they know that trusting in you is by faith. They believe in your heart that you were raised from the dead and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Through your Holy Spirit, you will save them. And now, Lord, as we gather around your table, help us to remember you. Help us to warm ourselves to the fire of your love as we go out. And we ask this for your name's sake. Amen.